You are listening to the Bondzilla Podcast. The Bondzilla Podcast is an ongoing analysis of two of cinema's longest-running franchises, James Bond and Godzilla. This week, we take a look at Robert Rodriguez's Ode to Spies and Families. It's a wacky and wild movie. It's 2001's Spy Kids. James Bond. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Bondzilla podcast. We're here for another episode, and I know it's a highly anticipated episode by many viewers out there. I've said that before. I'm Nick. I'm well. And uh, it's been quite a time uh, as we approach the end of this era of the Bondzilla podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, 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 it is weird we're in November. Like, it is. It's just... With with everything that 2020 has been, it's just like you kind of are like, oh, wait, 2021 is like legitimately just around the corner. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It's just it's just because I'm I'm someone who I, I was talking to someone about something happening in 2021, and I'm still like, oh, that's still like a year away. Mm, and I'm like, it I kind see. of like is, yeah. But in terms of it's like it's two months away. Like I'm still like, oh, 2021. That's like I've got a long time till that. It's like no, it's actually like happening like less than two months from now yeah i i i've i've been of like kind of like the opinion where it's like you can easily talk about like 2021 now because like i think earlier in like the year when things were going on it was like oh thinking about 2021 seemed like such a long ways away but now that it is only two months away it's like you know most of the plans i think i i I make now are basically dated 2021 and then it's not as sad because it's like well that's only like two months away um Mm -hmm. but uh yeah no i mean that 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 is that that is true i mean i I, but always but we you know even without this we've always been saying like it's always funny like how we perceive time just because there's so much going on regardless of like current events that like you know we always talked about you know when movies come out like you always have to remember like oh yeah that movie like came out in february and then you're like in like september or something and you're like oh yeah that was just this year so i yeah, I, I think no, like indeed. there is a level of just in general we have so much going on that our perception of when exactly things have happened um at least at least how we experience them i think definitely gets a, a little uh skewed yeah, I mean, I think that's really true, too. I, I'm sure there's been other times during the podcast history where we're just like, oh, yeah, that happened in, in this year. Like, like it is, but it is kind of funny to be like, I, I'm kind of, again, I'm kind of reviewing, I think I've said this before in the podcast, but I'll review, I'll repeat myself if I have. I've been reviewing, like, I have a list I do at the end of the year of movies, like, best movies I saw in 2020, not from 2020. And that's an easy list this year because there's not a lot of movies I saw from 2020. So basically everything I watched that's new mm-hmm. is from previous years. And it's just like, I was like, oh, we started this year watching Our Man Flint, you know, which right, is in consideration right, yeah. for, the, for this list. And it's like, that seems like so long ago because it is, but it's also that was just the beginning of this year. I, I think for me, what was really funny was that, so like, you know, Halloween we had um, recently, and it was my big reminder that Tiger King was a thing. Yeah. Like, I completely forgot that that was a thing this year. 
until yeah. like all the Halloween costumes. And I was like, oh yeah. Yeah. Thought, yeah. Tiger King, that was like, and I always call Tiger King as like the last thing that unified the country. Was like everybody watching Tiger King. Uh, after that, it was it was completely down the drain. But that was the one thing that like everybody was on the same page on is that Tiger King. I actually was on had the same experience because there was a um, a really good like Halloween display at like one of the houses around like the neighborhood, mm-hmm. and it had like a Carol Baskins like skeleton. And I yeah. was like, "Oh yeah, Tiger King. That happened." I've ne- I still haven't seen it. I, I've never seen. I mean, Tiger I haven't King. either. I yeah. mean, I just I just know of its pure existence well well, i don't know can it live up to the memes not that i mean i mean but i think it's also i think you're kind of in that realm though where it's like you know if you watch it right away you're kind of in all the hype and then if you watched it like right after that you know if like early summer you've been like oh man but it was like they hyped it up so much i think now you're far away enough from it Mm -hmm. where people like because it's like everything else has happened and everything else you know people have moved on to other memes and other things Mm -hmm. that you know people have moved on where it's like you can kind of go back and be like actually this was a hidden gem of earlier this year oh sure Maybe not that I mean, far yeah but. i mean yeah it's definitely you go back and like watch it i'm showing the lady um the mandalorian for the first time um Ooh. so she's like kind of understanding the memes now with uh well, yes with, with, all the child memes yeah uh it, it, so it, and it's funny because it, it's also the first time that i've gone back and rewatched season one uh, so mm-hmm. yeah, it's just funny. Like, especially all this time has passed, and then now you're rewatching it, and then you're like, oh yeah, that's where you know the soup meme comes from, <laughs> and that's yeah. where, uh, because it's the soup, and then what else? What what is is there the, an- the 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 music one where like you know he's like fuddling with the ship. Yes. And yeah. There's that one. There's yeah. that one. Um, that one was a big one for a while because that was super easy to edit. You know. Yeah, there, there's that, the soup, and the, um, and the, the riding on the speeder bike. We should have edited it with the Bonzilla theme. <laughs> yeah, that would, be, that would have been like funny. Like he's listening to the Bonzilla podcast. Yeah. Well, speaking of the Bonzilla podcast, here we are, talking about yes, movies. Yes, once again, talking about a movie. Yeah. Spy uh, movies. Again, a spy movie, mm-hmm. a highly requested spy movie. Uh, multiple people have come to me wanting us to take a look at this specific film. And for good reason, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think this is actually a pretty big... This one, I think, actually hits a very big nostalgia uh, bone with a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, it's very memorable in many ways. And we're going to be talking about uh, the 2001 motion picture, Spy Kids. Uh, directed and written and edited and everything by Robert <laughs> Rodriguez. Music as well. Some some of the music. Yeah. Uh, some was, of the music was too. And um, uh, other stuff. Which I we'll was talk a little. About. I was a little surprised. Like when I was watching the credits and it, and it, he was credited as the editor on, on it. Um, like it, it's very rare you get to see like you know. I mean, I don't know if you would call it a temple, but like a studio picture like that, like, you know, edited yeah. by the director um, as well. Yeah, uh, we'll definitely talk about that because that's very much a Robert Rodriguez yeah. style. Um, are you ready to get into it? Yeah, I was going to kind of like talk real quickly about my experience with Spy Kids. Because Go ahead. I didn't know, like, it, it was funny when you had kind of expressed to me that this was such like a, like people... Uh, this was a requested or at least inquired about is like doing this movie. Um, and 
it was just interesting because like th- this was and, and as we talk about it it really is the epitome of just family friendly live action for the kids um action film like um just like 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 clean fun but also you know especially when you watch it now and, and that's what's also is interesting about watching it is like it, it like really toes that line of being like a mature enough but for a broad family audience and it's still very very much a kids movie um and um it, it is it is interesting because you know it was you know an action film starring kids uh mm. that was Yes, it was, you know, by nature of it being a kid-friendly family film, it, it, it was comedic, but it, it was relatively played straight, like, in terms of, like, you know, the action event. Like, in many ways, it's played straight in the same way that you would play, like, an animated movie straight, like, in terms of, yeah. like, that kind of tone. Um, and um, so I just remember, like, at, at, you know, at, at that time, it was just kind of, the, the appeal was obvious, uh, but instant, like, you know, that it's like, oh, like Spy Kids. And, and it's also a genius, like, it's, it, it was pretty genius, the marketing and just the concept of it. Like, you almost can imagine, like, the, uh, the pitch meeting. That's like, all right, well, we need an idea. Like, what, what, like what, 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 can, we, what can we sell instantly? And we're like, Spy Kids. And then yeah. that, you don't need a script. You don't need, a, like, it's almost like just the title itself. Like, it's such, like, a big Hollywood type of kind of, like, like uh idea but you could just imagine like just spy kids like you instantly get it you know what it is for the most part it's so it's super easy to sell and yeah. and it and it, and it just kind of became and, and this is where it's like kind of interesting and why it was so fascinating and so many people were talking about it because like i do wonder what the nostalgia button for it is is it like one of those things where it's like and I'm thinking about kids entertainment. Like, is it like SpongeBob where kind of like everybody knows about it and it kind of is like that ingrained in society? Or is it kind of more like um, uh, Toonami where <laughs> they, 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 there's that specific era of kids that grew up with it and really have that attachment to it? I, I would say it's probably a mixture, a little bit of a mixture of both, I think. I think that because, I mean, it is a franchise. This, mm-hmm. this was a movie that we'll talk about in the aftermath that spawned, you know, like a, an initial trilogy and then a, and a comeback movie. And there's an, there's a new, you know, a couple years ago, they had and Netflix had an animated series based on Spy Kids as well. Oh, I didn't know so that. Think, yeah. So there's basically, I think there's generally like a, it's kind of a known property mm-hmm. But I also think that it really hits home with that specific generation of kids. Well, see, that but that's that- that's why I kind of I was mentioning that because there is that fourth comeback movie, and I haven't yeah. I haven't seen it. I actually I think we we saw a little bit of it. At least I have. And I, there is I, some. I watched it with with friend of the podcast Patrick. He watched it in his apartment. I remember there's actually a little bit more production value in it than you think that there's going to be. But right, they're also really I don't know. It like it, it definitely was. A franchise that, as it made its comeback, I don't think necessarily had you know the clamor for it as well. Right. But I yeah. remember like it it was very exciting. Like you know, um, and then you kind of transfer into like the Shark Boy and Lava Girl years, where it's kind of like you you can tell. Like I'm just fascinated that like I I I agree with you where it like has like this like deep nostalgia button. There's like this this uh, very. Uh, um, effective nostalgia button but it also did, didn't quite have uh extreme longevity as well yeah 
Uh, it's and it's very. I think it's interesting too because I think what we'll talk about is because it really is a passion project of the director, mm-hmm. and I think that's what kind of keeps it alive and what kept it alive to doing that that 2011 uh, all the time in the world movie mm-hmm. with your boy Jeremy Pivon. <laughs> So, all right. So let's talk about the the movie itself. All right. So obviously, we talked about Spy Kids from two thousand one, but uh, to 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 get to the origins of Spy Kids as a movie and as a franchise, we got to go back into the nineties and talk about one Robert Rodriguez. So, for those of you who don't know, Robert Rodriguez is a major Hispanic film director uh, who gained notoriety for. Uh, his films El Mariachi and Desperado in the early 90s, like 92, I think 92, 93, somewhere in there. And the thing about Robert Rodriguez would made him known is like El Mariachi was basically a one-man film crew that Robert Rodriguez was basically doing everything on the movie. You know, he was he made it for an extremely low budget, made it look extremely good. And that was that's his whole ethos is like, you know, being you know, creativity, not money, will will solve the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and like kind of the El Mariachi style has became something that was very known for Robert Rodriguez. So he was kind of making a name room for himself just on the basis of just like, oh, he made kind of El Mariachi at a very low budget all by himself, essentially. And, you know, it turned out very well. And then Desperado was kind of a follow-up to that. And it's now we're in kind of 94 era. And Robert Rodriguez is thinking of what he wants to do next and like kind of coming up with more original ideas so this is around the time 1994 is when he first comes up with the spy kids idea and basically at that point it's just like okay, a spy movie with kids is kind of basically the thing that's just standing around his head but he uh rodriguez basically told himself that like he did not have that much experience not only with bigger budgeted movies but with effects movies in general um, so he thought that he just needed more experiences as, as a director before he would get into doing a movie like Spy Kids. Mm-hmm. So Spy Kids was something that was always like kind of on the back burner. Um, and that would be influenced by a lot of things that would come up in his career later on. So instead, it, you know, he kind of put Spy Kids on the back burner and instead focuses all his attention on pitching a Predator movie. <laughs> um which does not succeed because that was kind of like okay well if i do like this franchise and i you know i do a big effects franchise movie maybe i can kind of get those lessons to do spy kids fortunately that predator movie does not happen at that time eventually it does happen uh in a kind of different light later down the line with predators um uh, so he does get to produce a predator movie mm-hmm. someday when they find that that script so instead he moves on to he directs a segment of four rooms uh alongside quentin tarantino and that's actually a big was a big part of what kind of influenced spike is because his segment of four rooms stars a family of four it's antonio banderas as the father uh you know because he, he's worked with antonio banderas multiple times at this point mm-hmm. and the family dynamic it's very different, obviously, in, in the Four Rooms segment, because this Four Rooms segment is about, like, you know, Tim Four Rooms, if you don't know, is a movie with four different directors, different four different segments, and Tim Roth is like a bellman, mm-hmm. and he, he crosses it, over it, it, all It's segments. like an anthology film where the the um, the manager of the bellman or whatever uh, is, like, the, um, what do you call it, the, uh, what's that thing called in an anthology kind of series? Like, the, the connect- he's a connector, yeah, or, like, yeah, the, yeah. yeah, he connects all the segments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. 
um like he's he's in every segment framing so, device the thing about framing device yes, yes. Mm-hmm. so the whole thing is like antonio Banderas and, and his, his wife in that movie they pay tim roth to like watch their kids and then their kids go absolutely crazy in the room mm-hmm. and then you know that's kind of like the, the thing is like tim roth trying to stop these kids from setting stuff on fire and watching adult films and stuff like that and so obviously it's like it's very different than what becomes spy kids but at that moment when he was making that and the kind of that spy kids thing was in the back of his head rodriguez kind of saw just had the vision of the the family mm-hmm. being the big part of the spy movie uh and so he kind of really dared develop that story. And the thing about Spy Kids for Rodriguez as he continued to develop ideas in his head is he definitely felt that the family genre of film was something that was often neglected, especially by sort of bigger Hollywood directors. He was sort of then in this thing where if it's not like like Disney making it, you don't really see that many real quality, you know, family friendly films that are not mind numbing to like an older audience. Right. Right. So he was just someone who was like, he wanted to really focus in on this theming of family and he wanted to make it something that is entertaining for the entire family mm. that, you know, like the, uh, you know, the, the make it kind of, like you said, like a straight, like it's an action movie just with the kids mm-hmm. in, in the, in the main kind of, you know, yeah. roles in that sense. Yeah. Um, so this idea continues to, uh, gesticulate in his head. He goes on to do um, a couple more movies. Again, getting that more experience. He does uh, from dawn till dusk, and the faculty. In between, um, you know, his initial idea, and then after the faculty, he's kind of started to really, you know, get his connections with Hollywood. Uh, started to make bigger movies, and that's when he finally decides, okay, Spy Kids is the next movie that I want to make. So, in terms of influences for spy kids uh rodriguez thought a lot about the movies that he enjoyed as a kid um and uh three actually come up in terms of what he's talked about in terms of influencing the movie uh the first one is his favorite childhood movie which is the 70s disney film escape to witch mountain Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. one of the things about you know, he, he does, you know, Robert Rodriguez does have a history with, with those Disney type of films, but I think one of the things that he most takes about it is kind of that element of like being for a whole family, mm-hmm. you know, it's just kind of like having, you know, just sort of being entertaining, but also being very family friendly. And I think especially with Escape the Witch Mountain, which is distinctly from that darker Disney period, just that, you know, obviously Spike is, I don't think it's as dark as Escape to Witch Mountain, but I do think that he's, you know, Rodriguez not being afraid to kind of take some kind of darker elements, you know, it kind of flourish them in the film. I think that's what he takes most from Escape the Witch Mountain. It's just kind of like these weirder, kind of wilder elements that kind of could be scary, could be frightening, but just kind of peppering them in the movie to kind of give that movie a slight edge mm-hmm. in that respect. Uh, another one that he always mentions in, in terms of what the movie is, is he kind of had this vision of Willy Wonka meets Bond. Mm-hmm. That was kind of like the real pitch of the movie. And to that extent, Similarly, he also takes inspiration. That's from really a movie. funny. I, I never it, it, you say that, and it instantly makes sense. Like yes. when you just knowing the movie, and I never would have made that connection. But it, it, it's it, it and does it's funny because another movie that he's mentioned, and I kind of want to talk about this before I talk about the Willy Wonka stuff. Another movie that he mentioned that we've actually looked at at this podcast uh, that was influential in, in Spy Kids is Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think with the Willy Wonka and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang stuff is, is taking, again, taking real people and putting them in these wilder worlds, mm-hmm. you know, like taking like the kids and spy kids and putting them in this kind of crazy, not just this crazy spy world, but this crazy world where like, you know, a children's TV entertainer is making like, you know, robot, like that kind of thing. Whereas like Willy Wonka and I think Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, you know, when we talk about Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, you can go back to the episode, but we talk about how like the second half, you can see how the second half of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang with that whole plot line with the whole other country and all the wild stuff that happens there is very influential on Spy Kids because it's basically taking, we're going to take you into this wild kind of crazy fantasy world with these real people and kind of just go crazy with it. So that's kind of where he's thinking. And I, I think this is also good to mention is that Rodriguez was also someone who he wanted to make a, a, a movie that featured, you know, Hispanic actors. Um you know, in that sense of just like you didn't really see, you know, he didn't really see a lot of films that had, you know, Hispanic children or Hispanic actors in them, mm-hmm. you know, when he was his own kid that, it, you know, it's just like kind of that, that diversity thing where it's just like, you know, showing everybody that, hey, we can kind of be, uh, you know, that, that we're just, we can make a movie full I, of I, Hispanic I mean, kids. and this is kind of getting into the movie. It, it definitely is a, a, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but it's definitely a choice that it, it's pretty much entrenched in um you know spanish speaking you know a family and an environment um and very naturally so (laughs) like you know it is kind of one of those movies where that is just kind of like the background like it is just kind of like the environment they are and it's not about that where it's like interesting because you would you would think i think more today you would get movies that would try to be more about that Whereas, like, you know, Robert Reed is like, well, no, this is just the reference point for where yeah. the family is, yeah. And that, that even evolves into the casting, too, because um, we're getting into that point where the he actually uses the same strategy that he used in cast four rooms segment, if we go back to that. Because how his four rooms cast segment was casted is that they cast Antonio Banderas first because he loves working with Antonio Banderas. Mm-hmm. And then they cast the children... And then once they cast the children, they cast the mother to match what the children looked like. So in Four Rooms, for example, they ended up casting a, a Hispanic and an, uh, a, a Japanese child, as I recall. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so the mother yeah, they cast uh, yeah. as, as a Japanese woman. So it was the same thing here where it's like Antonio Banderas, first one cast, no doubt. It's Robert Rodriguez in, in this kind of 90s era. He wants to work with Antonio Banderas. And Antonio Banderas is a, you know, a generally major Hispanic star at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so he kind of, that's kind of a name brand, at least from the Hispanic side of things, that he's, he's kind of one of the most known Hispanic actors. Uh, so it kind of helps that film in, in regards. So then, you know, Rodriguez is like, well, at least I want, at very least, uh, half Latino kids, mm-hmm. you know. That, that they're not fully Latino, they can be half Latino. And so that kind of starts the casting process. So let's just get into that casting real quick then. Because, um, of course, again, we have Antonio Banderas, as I've mentioned many times, as, as the father of this family, um, Gregorio Cortez. And then, obviously, it, like, like you do with many of these uh, films starring children, you just audition a bunch of children. And then you bring them in to test them with each other. And you just kind of, you just kind of go through, like, it's just kind of an open casting call. 
So we get our two kids. We have Carmen Cortez and Juni Cortez that are played by Alexa Vega and Daryl Sabara mm-hmm. specifically. Um, and it was just, again, just the end of a long process of auditioning kids. And they were just the two that Rodriguez felt were the best for the role. And so from there, Rodriguez was interested in kind of, you know, making it again, kind of a casually, just like with four rooms, kind of making it a casually mixed race family in that regard. Uh, so originally the role of uh, the mother, uh, Ingrid Cortez, was originally slated for Kelly Preston, who was most known at that point for her role in Jerry Maguire mm-hmm. and Twins almost a decade earlier. Uh, but Kelly Preston had just had a child. Um, and so she just wasn't available for for the making of the movie. So instead we get Carla Gugino, uh, a... Um, Italian-American actress uh, to be that other side. Because also with the movie, as we kind of see in the movie too, it's like part of the point is that they're two spies from separate worlds that fall in love. So that was another reason that Rodriguez wanted to make it specifically a mixed-race family. Mm -hmm. Um, We also have some... uh, I would say right now we have some Bond connection actors uh, (laughs) in this movie. Yeah, we do. Uh, We do. uh, we uh, We have another one of our main roles... Uh, of Alan Cumming mm-hmm. as the TV children's host slash genius inventor slash partial villain of the movie, Fegan Floop. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, it was just one of those situations where Rodriguez knew as soon as he wrote the character that like an Alan Cumming was exactly the type of person he needed right. for this role. And it just fits so well. What, what's gonna, What's funny about the Spy Kids series also is... All of the people, like it, it's definitely a like, oh yeah, that person's in this. That, like, I was going to was gonna mention this. this at the end of yeah. my casting stuff, but I didn't want to get to this now. Yeah, the Spy Kids movies are full of just like, wow, that person's in this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think like in this one, I, I you know, obviously we'll um, we and, can kind of continue talking about it in a second. And but like when you get to like this, go ahead. No, I was just going to say like, and like they're all there to play. Like, yes. very rarely like have we, I seen, especially like, and we'll talk about this maybe as we get, uh, you know, into the movie itself. But when you see the names of, and you remember who is, are in these movies, like, it's, I never, at least my memory is, I never get the sense that anybody is like coming in and they're like, oh, just being in the kids' movie for a while. Like, Robert Rodriguez gets some big names to be in these movies. Yeah. And everybody seems to be having like a fun time right. in it. Well, when you go to like the second one where it's like you have, um, uh, Steve Buscemi. Yeah, Steve Buscemi. I mean, for me, it's like obviously Steve Buscemi, but then you have like Ricardo Montalban in there, like doing yeah. his thing. Uh, Bill I mean, Paxton's in the next one. Yeah, Bill Paxton's in the next one. I mean, I have to just say it since we're talking about it. I mean, with um, you know Stallone being in. Yeah, it's 3D. Yeah, in, uh, and he's and being the. To- and he's crazy in that movie. Yes, <laughs> like the toy he, maker. Yeah, he's and he like is. He goes but all even in. Like the third, the third one has that cameo by Elijah Wood. Yes, yeah, it does. And uh, so, like but the, he, the, the gamer or whatever. But kind of going like, back like, into this one, like Robert Patrick is in this one, and yeah, he's, he's, he's a lot of fun. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we'll get to that. Um, but uh, but our other Bond connection is Terry Hatcher, uh, is playing kind of a double agent for for Floop, and of course she uh, was Paris Carver in uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. Mm-hmm. Uh. Uh, I should also mention, because we do have a couple, again, he likes, uh, Rodriguez likes to pepper the movie with other 
friends of the industry that he has in terms of the, the Latino uh, Hollywood community. So we, we have like a Cheech Marin appearance as well mm-hmm. uh, as the fake Uncle Felix. And we cannot get through it without mentioning Danny Trejo. Oh, of course. As Isidore Machete Cortez. Oh, that is that his name? I, I, I didn't know that was he had his so first name. So to be clear... In different ways, but Rodriguez and Trejo both consider this machete to be the same machete. Really, as the machete movies. Really. Now, That's now, Trey, they they do have different views on it though, because mm-hmm. Trejo says, "Oh, this is basically what what machete does." Like you know, before he knew the kids, or uh, you know, on his own time, like right. he kind of goes on these kind of crazy missions. Whereas Rodriguez says that it's the same character, but it's a kind of in a parallel universe. It's like that's kind of how I always saw. It. Like I always thought it was like a more of like a spiritual like yeah. uh, extension of the character. Right. Yeah, and it just says it just as like even he, Rodriguez thinks that like the Sharkborn Lila Girl movies are also kind of like an alternate Spy Kids universe. Like right. they all kind of like connect, but are different. They're all in the but, same but, multiverse, but yeah, connected yeah. by. Um, but it, I will say that like uh. Yeah, but yeah, they do consider this machete to be the same in general, the mm-hmm. same machete as in as in the Grindhouse trailer and the two machete movies. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm just gonna say it: Mike Judge is in all three of these movies, and it's crazy to me. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, like because he has a small one in this movie, but then he has a really big role. Yeah, that was the thing I remembered. It's like, oh, like it's funny going back to watch this movie. I'm like, oh, that character has like a huge role in the second one. Mm-hmm. Um. So basically, Richard they, Linklater is in this. Yes, he is. He as has cool, as well. I, credited as cool spy. <laughs> yeah, and I was yeah. Robert Patrick is kind of one of the other main villains of the movie, mm. and it's just like you know. And then and then Tony Shalhoub. Let's not forget. Oh, of course. Not, let's yeah, not Tony forget Shalhoub. Monk. Well, th- this is funny because this is actually he filmed this before he gets Monk because mm-hmm. Monk I think happens 2001 is the first season of Monk. This movie comes out in march and then the monk kind of is like the new tv series for for usa so this is right before tony shalhoub gets it big you know this is this is kind of like like right like when he's kind of becoming mm-hmm. a name in yeah. the industry and now like and he's he's fun to see and we'll talk about him in the movie so the um you know the movie kind of is is into 1999 is when the script's kind of written and then the movie begins filming in March of 2000 uh, for a release of uh, March of 2001. Um, now, in terms of making the movie, what I also found very interesting, Will, in terms of the making. So we talked about earlier, Robert Rodriguez directed the movie, of course. He wrote the movie. He edited the movie. But not only that, Will. <laughs> Robert Rodriguez made himself the visual effects supervisor mm. of this movie as mm-hmm. well. And he had this quote. I vaguely say. remember this about it. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the boot is actually, you know, for Spy Kids was only about a $36 million budget. And Rodriguez, you know, again, that's the kind of what Rodriguez was known for was making great films with very low budgets. Like that's, when you made like a Robert Rodriguez film, especially in this era and this kind of earlier era in his career, you kind of knew that you were hiring a man that was going to be creative with how he used his money. And that's what people liked about him a lot. 
but he had this to say when he talked about because this was really truly his first big effects movie at least at this scale mm-hmm. like he had, he had definitely played with it in, in other ones of his movies you know with 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 you know just kind of little bits and pieces in the faculty and, and even in um uh till dawn in uh, from dawn till dusk but this was his first big one but he, the direct quote from him about the movie was the first person you usually hire on an effects-based movie like this is an effects supervisor. I didn't. I wanted to figure out how to do it myself. It's just a case of being more creative. It looks like an expensive movie, but it's all magic tricks. I edited it in my garage, and it had to feel personal, or it would be like one of those studio-made kids' movies that are just awful. It's a big home movie, basically. So Rodriguez is, you know, it's like Rodriguez is someone who's, I think, like inherently fascinated just from the making of a movie. Mm-hmm. Like that's what really gets him jazzed about making a movie is just the just that technical aspect and finding out how to do everything. And obviously it comes from him having that experience of being the one man film crew and that being his legacy. But like even like in those early movies, like, you know, he would be his own director of photography. He'd be his own editor. He's being those musician, you know, and, and, and that kind of extends to this and Spy Kids and that's. Spy Kids in general is the movie, besides it being a one big home movie, that Rodriguez says, this is the movie that like, I want it to feel like a movie a kid would make. It, a movie mm. that I would have made as a kid. Right. Like if I just wrote a movie as a kid and made a movie as a kid, with, it just happened to have a big budget, this would be the movie. And, 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 and it makes sense because there's a lot of even the the CG visual effect nature of the movie almost has a practical effect charm to it. Like when, what I mean by that is like the same charm that people kind of, uh, attribute to early practical effects because even when they acknowledge like oh yeah you know it's not the most realistic and you can tell that it's you know fake but there's kind of like that home movie quality about it I I feel like there's almost like a bit of a charm to like that early CGI nature of it too like the like it's obviously kind of like grassroots like made but then it's also there it, it fits into the movie because it does the cartoony nature of some of the effects also make it feel more like a kid's movie. Like it, it makes it feel like it's like part of the, uh, like you're right. Like it's just something a kid would make. Yeah. I mean, it, it gets extended to true because even, even in terms of really connecting to the Rodriguez's childhood, because the, the infamous thumb thumb creatures mm-hmm. uh, are based on drawings that Rodriguez made when he was 11, that he actually found mm-hmm. uh, himself that he found in his childhood home. So, he he had that kind of just taking it in, and and one of the things he talked about too was, uh, in terms of like what he would take from the Bond movies, is just that, you know, what was always the coolest thing to a kid in the Bond movie was the gadgets. Mm-hmm, yeah. But one of the other things he wanted to do was like he he said that like, he put all of his childhood dreams into the gadgets, like in, in terms of you know like the 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 gu- the, the guppy submarine mm-hmm. and like the, everything at the safe house and even all the stuff that like machete makes in the movie, all of it together is like, you know, this is what like a kid's dream bond movie would be, would just have everything be crazy gadgets. Right. Cause that's what people remember, mm-hmm. especially, especially like a Rodriguez who's grow who, you know, again, he, we kind of talked about, you know, how he was growing up in an era of like the escape, the witch mountains that also puts him in that more era super specifically. And the more era is really where you find like the, the craziest of the gadgets. 
in, in many ways. Like, yeah, I maybe mean, until like Die Another Day, like kind of really gets it up there. But like you know, like in terms of even compared to that Connery era, like that more era, and if you're growing up with those more era films, mm-hmm. it, there's a very specific type of movie that you kind of have in your head in terms of the spy movie. Uh, we talked about this too when we go back to, you know, how like the more era influenced um, uh, Kingsman in that regard. And it's right. that same way. Like when you have that era you're growing up in, in the seventies, eighties in that more era, you just have a very specific thought about the, the spy genre. And I think that definitely influences how spy kids gets made. I mean, it is interesting when you go back and look at that era of bond and how you're right. It is the inspiration f- point for the superhero spy, like in terms of yeah. it being about larger than life gadgets and, uh, like big superhero stakes. And I always find that funny because I think what we've talked about on the show is like that the, like w- with the very, with the very few examples, the bond franchise never quite gets there. Like, you know, you're right. right. Like spy kids is one of the earlier examples of them really leaning into the spy genre being basically like a superhero spy thing. And then Kingsman mm-hmm. does that like uh, many, many years later. Um, but it is funny, like that the Bond franchise never actually is quite that, but it is the more era that at least is the is the inspiration to take it to that next level. Yes, and because I think I there was a level agree. of like I, I think the more era definitely was the one who really kind of unapologetically embrace some of those wilder elements. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I always say that even in the Connery days, like. You know, there there's a level of like him in the jetpack that even he doesn't look enthused about it. So the Connery days never quite uh, reach the same levels as Moore does about like getting into the super spy uh, subgenre. Indeed, indeed. Um, but then it was it was a lot of the process was just again Rodriguez, as we talked about, being his own visual effects supervisor. So a lot of it was kind of him learning this technology, figuring out kind of on the fly and you know editing the movie himself and just kind of trying to put together this kind of passion project of his um but really i think that's really pretty much like everything there is to truly say I mean, mm-hmm. there's not really many like on set stuff i mean i i would say that obviously we can talk about the music a little bit but it is like again robert rodriguez does some of his own they get danny elfman to help out a little bit mm-hmm. like, there's, there's a really big mixture of, of yeah there, there, there's one big moment that's very danny elfman in, in the movie I, I will definitely talk yeah, about yeah, yeah. That. i i will um, I, I do I, I guess i will say kind of like leaning into the movie i, I always found it interesting like it was like when you look at the posters in the marketing campaign, like just right off the bat that they were just leading with these kids. And that's yeah. where I think they and that's why I kind of joke about like the whole Hollywood nature of it. But there is something about like you put these kids up there and it's spy kids. Like, you know what I mean? Like it, it wasn't like a actor driven vehicle that was like that they really leaned into. And and I'll, and I'll be honest, I, I think that as at the time, um. I think I was like vaguely familiar with Antonio Banderas and Alan Cumming. Like I, I think like I kind of knew who they were. And again, I was young, so I didn't. Maybe it's just like I just didn't have like a good reference point for it. Um, but it was a movie that ultimately was just selling it purely based off of the concept, because like I said, like the concept just sells itself with very yeah. little. Well, effort. I think like there's. I, I think by itself, like. I remember the very specific line, even from the trailers, even from when I was a kid, mm-hmm. of 
our parents can't be spies. They're not cool enough. Right. Like that right. in itself is just the marketing. Like that's what you need. Mm-hmm. And I think that that it really is that simple in terms of the concept. It's like kids find you know find out their parents are spies and they go on an adventure. And I think like the marketing really just sold that in terms of a kind of a being a and a very unique taking on that. Yeah, and I just One remember at the time like it was just like you were going to see it if you were a kid. Like it was just kind of like, you know, you're a kid and like you, you, you saw like almost every kid movie. There's, there's, there's a joke in a show in that, in the show, big mouth that I like where they talk about the, the guys are like, Oh, like it's cause they're kids. And they're like, Oh, like the, I, I hear this movie's coming out and they're like, is it good? And it's like, it's a movie. <laughs> It's like, well, we, yeah, we've talked, we've talked yeah. about that many times. Yeah. Where it's like when you're a kid, you just don't have a concept of a movie being bad. Right, like, right. It takes a while for you. And that first time you figure out a movie is bad, it's kind of its own thing. But it's like, it's just, if it looks cool, right, you right. want to see it. Like, you so, know, if it looks like something that appeals to you. The point being is like, you, like it was kind of like it was a no brainer as, as a kid. You were either going to see it or be taken to see it because you just always were taken to like kids' movies. Um, but you're right, but this was the one that, like, I think that Robert Rodriguez wanted is that it stood out by essentially being just kind of like, I mean, for, as a kid, like, this is a James Bond movie, but with kids. It is kind of like how you saw it, and it was, like, legit, and, um, you know, it had all, like, the family humor in it, but it was still pretty straightforward. Yeah. Uh, before we get into the movie itself... I always like to mention a story. If there's a story that's mentioned in every single thing that I read about this movie, I kind of have to mention it. Mm-hmm. And it's just the fact that on this movie, uh, while doing sound editing at Skywalker Ranch, uh, Robert Rodriguez met George Lucas. <laughs> and George Lucas showed him some dailies from the Star Wars prequels, mm-hmm. which were being made, you know, uh, I think it would have been Attack of the Clones was being made around this time. And that seeing those dailies from Attack of the Clones is what made Robert Rodriguez decide he was never going to shoot on film again. Yeah, he 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 is one of the few um, in that Hollywood circle that went with George Lucas on that one. Yeah, he because he notori- notoriously there's like kind of some of these stories about how George Lucas was really you know presenting what like the next like you know the future of cinema is going to be and you know not everybody was thrilled about this whole move to digital but notoriously right. Rodriguez is one of those guys who very much yeah, embraced so it Spy Kids is the last movie he shoots on film mm-hmm. and then every every film he does after that is shot a shot on digital um and I think I think it's, it's it definitely interesting. And I think just Rodriguez is a very interesting filmmaker, mm-hmm. especially because like he has a very strange, very niche filmography. I think he does, because the thing is, like, he does these three like the Spy Kids movies are basically these three in a row. Like he does this trilogy that he's very passionate about. And even with like 3D, like we don't talk. We, we have a, we can't really we can talk about this a little bit, but like 3D was like 2003 to make a 3D movie like was kind of like it was it was a gimmick to be sure but it was just kind of rodriguez just being like well why don't we just do it you mm-hmm. know because that was like right before like the real big like try to return to 3d right right like that was kind of an early thing and then obviously in 2011 he does the smell of vision aroma vision thing which is kind of its own thing mm-hmm. uh, but then like he goes right from that and then he goes right into sin city yeah <laughs> and just like but that's like the whole thing it's just and it's like because he's a director that's like very much i think what's also interesting about rodriguez but just before we go into the movie 
He's also a director that's linked into that like Tarantino circle. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but, like basically, also, remember there was the big like Death Proof, uh, Grindhouse, yeah. what Planet Terror, and and uh, Death Proof, where the, like the Grindhouse double feature he did with Tarantino. Yeah, um, but it's like yeah. I think what's 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 so interesting about Rodriguez, like all of his movies are very specific in many ways. Like he does these family friendly movies. He does the highly stylized like Sin City stuff. He does, you know, when he gets to, like, Machete, he's making, again, like, in Grindhouse and Machete, he's making these very old-school, like, throwbacks to, like, 70s-era exploitation stuff. And it's just, like, he just likes, I think, again, he's just someone who has fun with just the process of film. Yeah, but even, like, if you and look even, at the, even, ma- the Machete films, like, one, like if you could call them grounded, the first one is, like, the more grounded one, and then the second one is, like, the, it ends with teasing Machete in space. And then, like, yes. it's, like, in on the joke way more than the first one is, at least if I recall it correctly. Yes. And then this is also the same guy who made, you know, a Predator movie. Uh, like, you know, he makes Predators. Well, like, he, he – he, it's based on his script. Like, he didn't direct Oh, it, yeah, you're like, right. He doesn't – he didn't direct that. You're right. Okay, I, I always that, – that is one of those ones where but I he, think – But it's basically, yeah. like, it was his idea from the 90s. Right, basically put right. Into That's what it was. More got it, got it. But even, like, um, now, it's like his next movie is going to be a, a spinoff of Sharkboy and Lava Girl. Yeah, and his last movie was – because he directed Aelita, right? Well, yes. Yeah. Yeah, he takes over – he takes over Aelita Bandle Angel, which I love. Yeah. Or maybe not love. I like it a lot. <laughs> It's a, it's a solid um, movie. It's, it's solid. Uh, but he takes over that from James Cameron, mm-hmm. and even that is like very in his style. Right. Right. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it, he, it's a very it, yeah. Because you're right. He is in that inner circle of like filmmakers that, especially like you know the film people love. But he has a very yes. he a very off kilter filmography that the other ones that that his other circle don't quite have. Exactly. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of very interesting about him. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get into talking about Spy Kids. Between driving the kids to school, mommy's mimicking me. Mommy's mimicking me. And putting them to bed. No one would ever guess that mom and dad are the world's top secret agents. We've got to follow her. No for long. What'd you do? Your parents are international spies, but something's gone wrong. My parents can't be spies. They're not cool enough. That's cool. Now, the only two people who can save them are their kids. I think it's up to us. You with me. Okay. All right. So, Spy Kids. Yeah. Uh, it was very interesting to revisit this. Because it's, it's one of those things for me, like, I didn't have, like, an attachment to this as a kid, but I definitely remember, like, I remember it very distinctly. Like, it's not something I go back to all the time, but I, I definitely have the memory. I have the memories of this one and, and 3D. Uh, I don't remember uh, Island of the Lost Dreams that much, but I remember the first one and the third one very specifically. I... Um, uh, it, I am very familiar with this movie. Like this was one of those uh, on repeat growing up. Like it was just kind of like the kids movie you threw on. Um, And uh, so I watched this quite a bit. It it was also during the time 
where like DVD special features were the bomb. Like there were so many fun little special features like on the disc and then there was so much ancillary material like you know and they were getting into whole like you can be a spy kids too and you get like spy kids kits and everything like that and then you you can do that and and I may even remember that they were even messing with some sort of like 3D like you know or like some sort of like interactive uh special features with the movie itself. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, so for me, this was more of just kind of like a, a polish it, like a, a, like a dusting off of my spy kids memories. So it, it was definitely familiar enough where like, it wasn't like a super fresh, but I'm glad that I rewatched it. Cause there were like little bits and pieces that I'm like, Oh yeah, I remember that. And Oh, like, that's funny seeing that nowadays. And then, um, like, like for instance, I don't think at the time I would nearly appreciate uh, Antonio Banderas in this movie as, as much mm-hmm. as like as I would now like you know just really appreciating him uh, just hamming it up at, at times and just being such like but such like a natural presence too like it, it, it's really it's really fun to see because like I I have a feeling like that Antonio Banderas not even have a feeling like he's been in roles where he definitely will make a fool of himself um and really lean into being over the top and hamming it up. I mean, like, I, I think that there's a reason that they spun off Puss in Boots because I, I legitimately, like, there's a lot of jokes to say about the Shrek series, but I actually think that Antonio Banderas as that iteration of Puss in Boots is one of, like, the few, final few genius mo- uh, moves that that franchise made going forward. Yeah. Because you're like, because he, he was in the second one, right? Like, I, yeah, I, yeah. Third, second or third one, one of those. It, it was just like in a way. This is starting to turn into Antonio Banderas talk, but I'll just get it out of the way. It's just one of those things. Like you know, Mike 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 Myers as Shrek and Eddie Murphy as Donkey were two brilliant voiceover choices, and then they uh, basically follow it up with Antonio Banderas as this as this character, and it, it just kind of made me think of. You know, Antonio Banderas has, like, been in a lot of dramatic roles, but when he really wants to put on these kid-friendly, let's-have-fun shoes, he really knows how to do it. So yeah. it, that, those are just, like, little moments where now, watching it again, like, now, it, it, like, I appreciate things like that a little bit more. Yeah, well, one of the things I first thought about when I was revisiting this, and, and, and something I think I really appreciate about the entire Spy Kids franchise Spy Kids is among those films. I, I think what I would call it, it is it has a very specifically unique creativity to it. Mm. And what I mean by that is when when Rodriguez was talking about like going back to like Escape to Witch Mountain, I, I thought back to this in comparison to some of those older Disney films, like from that sixties and seventies era. And like when I when I think about like why I love films from that era, like especially like that Darn Cat and Blackbeard's Ghost, which I've been able to show you, it's because those movies take like a very simple concept and just go in completely wild and creative directions with it. Mm-hmm. Like Blackbeard's Ghost, which I've showed you this year, like the pitch for Blackbeard's Ghost is a, a man accidentally reawakens Blackbeard's Ghost. That's a very simple plot in and of itself. But then when you actually watch the movie, and all of a sudden it's getting to like gambling and mobs and you know like you know and 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 like just like kind of crazy track meets it goes into all these kind of crazy directions that you don't really expect it to go 
And it's just uniquely creative in that sense. And I think about the Spy Kids theories as that very much. It's like, if you just take the basic premise that we've talked about, it's like kids find out their parents are spies and must rescue them. You could see that going in a whole bunch of really different directions. But the way they take it, where they take in like, you know, like a, a children's television host and, and him like being able to 3D print monsters onto spies and, and, and then like robot children. And, and like, it just like goes into so many like crazy design and unique direction wise things where, and I think the whole Spy Kids series, especially that original trilogy is like that, where all of a sudden, like you're just taking these concepts and just going in completely wild directions with them. And, and, and Robert Rodriguez really brings it all together into a very entertaining package. Yeah, I think... Uh, and, the- and I just think that there's, there's such... That's what makes the Spy Kids series memorable, I think, and especially this first one. It's just how unique it is in the way that it presents the spy story and just the unique decisions it makes in terms of its like villains and heroes. Yeah, I think that the biggest thing about it is that it really isn't like an offshoot commentary on any of like the spy material that you know. I mean, it, like, it, like there really isn't a good parallel to anything Bond I can think of. No, really um, not. Other than the fact that gadgets play a huge role. Um, yes. But even like the gadget guy is, um, you know, you, you know, they, they kind of like have a more interesting role for them. But yeah, you're right. So like they do that. They create this crazy original world that is really kind of like cartoonish and nonsensical in terms of just why you would come up with it. Like you're right. Like the fact that like the villain is a t- has a TV show for children and he gets roped into, you know, kind of creating a robot army for some reason. But then he also starts having like a midlife crisis about like, you know, it's like this isn't really what my passion like. And that's actually like kind of like a funny little bit with uh, with Floop is that the villainy is uh, is like the thing he's like, this isn't my real. This is just my sidekick. And I really just want to focus on my TV show. Like so there, you know, there there is fun stuff like that. Um, and um you know, and one of the other things I did kind of really like about it too was that it finds that really, and it's interesting. Like if you look at Rodriguez's other work, where especially watching it when you're older, there are a few kind of more mature family dynamics at play that you can kind of like look into. But it's also a movie that isn't really susceptible, other than maybe a joke here or there. There's really no like. Uh, that one was for the adults. Like that joke was right, for right. like the adults, which sometimes, and I don't mind that, but sometimes when you watch these movies, when you're older, you like realize that, but there really wasn't anything that like, Oh, now as an older person, you like realize like the danger of it. And, and speaking of like, even the danger and the threat, I'm always impressed when a movie like this is able to basically keep the movie light while also having you understand that the the bad guys are the bad guys and the stakes are real like but ultimately like i don't know i have a soft spot for like you like even as a kid you watch this movie and you know everything's going to be okay and it kind of leads you into like having fun with it because you know like you know uh, everything's going to turn out well at the end of the day um but like you know people getting turned into fooglies is still kind of like, oh no, like you don't want that to happen. And the, the villain reveals are still big villain reveals and you don't want the thumb people, like the thumb people still feel threatening and everything. So it, it, it really, and then that kind of just leads into kind of my overall thoughts of the movie. It, it's just a really 
well-made, solid, effective movie. Like from start to finish, um, like it, 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 um, uh, it, it pay, the pace is super breezy. The performances are fun and endearing. Uh, there, there, it's very clever when it wants to be. Like, there's a lot of kind of like fun, obvious, low hanging fruit type humor, but there's also quite a bit of like clever humor in the movie yeah. a- a- as well. One of my favorites is, you know, they get to the end and they have to reprogram this like army of robot kids. And then they're just like, he's like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. It's like, well, can't you reprogram them from this room? And then he presses the button and then all the screens say too late. And he's like, it's yes, too late. I'm- <laughs> I laughed. I, that was like a big laugh out loud moment. That for me. that uh, was. I thought you would like that joke. I, I was like, that's a that's a really funny. That's a really funny joke. Um, and I think it's yeah. I think too. Uh, in terms of that, is two things. It's. I, I think one thing to mention, of course, we, we mentioned the cast, but it really is the cast is here to play, mm-hmm. uh, especially the adult cast of the film. You have just people that are willing to just kind of be. You know, like Tony Shalhoub is willing to be just the villain, like the true villain at the end. I of the have day. to say, Tony Shalhoub as the villain reveal is one of those things that, out of everything in this movie to this day, I always think about because that's a. Speaking of things that probably are funnier as an adult, that's a really yeah. funny joke when he's like, so like he plays like the the second hand to floop at, at this point at, at this point in the movie you think floop is like the main villain right well he his name is minion yeah and and his name is minion and then you know and then he reveals himself that he is going to be the big mastermind and then like and the way it's directed is like this huge like i am your father type reveal and then floop's like minion and then he takes and then tony chaloop takes off his glasses he's like that's mr minion now <laughs> And then you find out that his name is Alexander Minion. <laughs> like, yes. That's like that's a good joke. That's that's it's super fun, and, funny. And, and like Shaloub just once he gets into full villain mode, because mm-hmm. like the beginning, like he is playing like the henchman, like the nerdy kind of like you know he's like helping Floop out and like being like kind of you know kind of quiet. But then as soon as he gets into full on villain, and he's like you know leaning in the big chair, and he's like you know. Mr. F- gone away, and then that, and then don't worry, your robot kid army will be here in just a few moments. Like he just goes full in on being like just the villain, and it's just so much fun. And like like Alan Cumming has some really great comedic timing in this movie. We've already talked about Antonio Banderas getting in there. Mm-hmm. Like Terry Hatcher, like like you know has a crazy haircut because her haircut's on fire. Right, right. Like right. everybody's just like is there. Robert Patrick is, seems seems like he's having like a fun time too. Right, like um, the, the the president's daughter. Yeah, I I I, I did I I and again I love like the jokes like because like the big kind of iconic thing I think in the movie are the thumb thumbs or whatever. The, yes, like where the, the Robert Rodriguez designed. Thumb yes, thumbs. they're they're basically eleven year old. Yeah, they're basically people with big muscular guys where their arms, legs, and head are all thumbs. And they, there's a great joke where he's like. These guys come in super handy, but the problem is, and then Robert Patrick throws like something at them, and then they can't catch it, and then they're, and then Robert Patrick's like, all thumbs, <laughs> and it's like that's a good, that's a really, that's a really good joke. And you, 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 another thing about this movie that I did like, that I have to give credit for, it doesn't really, uh, like I think the big reveal is that Minion is the villain, but other than that, it plays it straight with the audience. It's not trying to like 
talk down to the audience, especially for a kid's film. Like, it pretty much plays its cards straight. Like, mm-hmm. it, it pretty much is, like, it, it's, like, they... Like, you would think it would be, like, a big reveal that, like, the f- the Fooglies, which are, like, uh, um, Floops, kind of, like, weird Teletubby-type characters. And you find out that um, they are secret agents who have been captured and then turned into these things. But they kind of, like, give you that information fairly early on. Like, they like this movie right. isn't... In, in, I think that in a, in a way that because the movie is not trying to play those type of plot games that it actually just lets it have unbridled fun. And I, and I think every now and then I think movies can learn from that where I think they – this movie is clever in its jokes and its writing and its execution and doesn't try to be too clever in its storytelling. And I think that that works yeah, in its benefit. Yeah, and I think it's – I mean it, I think it's like – because that I think like again there's an instinct in some Hollywood family films where it's like you got to talk down to the audience. But I think it's just basically like – the kids are enough to get the kid audience invested and um, to like buy into the world that you don't need to talk down to them because they're already following along. Right. And, and being simple is just enough in where it's like you can kind of have the fun with the humor and the jokes. And you, yes, there are some things that are a little bit more driven towards like kids humor, you know, like the occasional like like the, the you know, robot computer being like, now this time to flush your poop. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah like, there, there are there's like some that. of that yeah, stuff. Yeah. But but it does kind of just present the kids as like these kids are like you and they they're going to be spies and that's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I think it's like it really is a testament to say, too, that like, you know, it's like I, the the Carmen and Junie characters are a very iconic part of this movie. Mm-hmm. Like and those actors and those kid actors being those kids it's a very memorable image of the two of them going off and and having the spy adventure. And I think that's what, when we talk about it being like a nostalgia trip for people, that dynamic that the, the two Cortez kids have is in and of itself, like an extremely memorable part of this movie. Yeah. One thing I, I I did kind of take note about their dynamic and their characters is like the story is set up where they're both kind of out of their depth. Like they they obviously make Junie the more like clumsy of the two because you need to get like that kind of type of humor in there. And, uh, you know, Carmen's a little bit and, you know, they're kind of playing into like the older sister uh, type of role where, you know, at times she's a little bit more capable. But, you know, she gets herself in the silly uh, circumstances as well. But um, and I think that's kind of what leads for the movies to kind of like I, I think like the movies kind of ultimately focus a little bit more on Junie than they do on Carmen if they had to like pick if you had to pick one is like a main character um but um what was I gonna say oh but the thing is about the movie is like the way that they play it is that they're both out of their depth because I think it's easy in a movie like this that like okay Junie's like kind of a loser but like he loves spy stuff and like so, you know that you can kind of see that a different version of this movie would have played that. Now Carmen's out of her element, and now she has to kind of like listen to Junie. But they kind of play it where it's like both of them, like kind of are you know, are capable enough, but both of them have to kind of like uh, um, wrap their heads around this whole spy world. And um, yes. so I thought that was like an interesting kind of way to to go about it. And um, and. Yeah, and, and and the two and and uh, you know the the uh, perf- the performances are pretty good um, too. I think Daryl uh, Sabara gets uh, 
better as these movies go along. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, uh, what's her name? Carmen uh, is that is that the actress's name? Uh, uh, Carmen's uh, the character. Alexa. Ca- Alexa. Alexa Vega. Yeah. Car- um, yeah. I-, I actually think she's like really good in this movie. Uh, yeah. For like, right? And like, I actually think she also played Terminator self like her robot self pretty well too oh yeah i thought yeah, she yeah. she did that really well so but overall like both of them and the way they bounce off each other it just really genuinely they just capture that um they capture that brother that brother sister dynamic and and i have to say i i never felt tedious about the amount of times that they were at each other's throat because i thought they found a good balance of there really isn't, a, you, you know, I've talked about this with you off mic, where in all the movies like this, especially in kids' movies, there's got to be the thing that happens where they split apart and, like, and it's usually kind of forced where it's like, you know, they're going to split apart or have some sort of big difference, but they're going to come back together in the third act anyway, so why are you making such a big deal out of it? And what I like about it is, like, they kind of, you know, are always at each other's throat as brothers and sisters, but they're naturally just there's never a moment when they're kind of like too separated and in the time when that happens in the park they kind of like flip right back into there because i think the they know from the story it would just be tedious if like these guys just have like a huge falling out but yeah um it all just feels natural and and i I think they really captured the brother and sister dynamic it's like again like just the story makes itself where it's like even that exact moment when they separate is when the stakes get higher for yeah. them because mm-hmm. they're facing these robot versions of themselves and, so and it's also they, like in the fall so it's like they go yeah, ahead yeah they just know that they have to get back together because now they know that like that that things are getting more serious the other thing too is that the falling out moment they do have both come from pretty good places like mm-hmm. she's like because the big falling out moment is like he has this like the this third brain device that Floop is after. And then Junie thinks like they should destroy it. And Carmen's like, Oh, you know, no, we need to keep it. Cause it's our bargaining chip. And you kind of get where everybody's coming from and they're all kids. So it's like you, you give them some sort of a uh, leeway with that. Another great joke in this movie, by the way, like this is actually a well-written plant and payoff yeah. is that earlier when you hear the parents talking, um, that there's a throwaway line that, one of the kids wears diapers going to bed. And up until this point, the movie has kind of set up that Carmen is kind of like the older rebel type daughter. And Junie is the one where they're pampering him too much or like they're being like too um, forgiving of like him, like watching kids shows and, you know, like he he's drawing silly drawings and like talking to made up like uh, imaginary friends and stuff. So and, that and it's like because he's also has he also has the wart thing where it's like you know he has like a lot of warts because he's like you know very nervous. Right, and, right. So there's yeah there's all that sort of stuff. So they 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 build up this you kind of understand like how the kids fit in in, in the family and then at one point you know they make another joke about like well it's like you know you're it's like you know it's like one of our kids still wears diapers going to bed like and and then they're like well it's only when they go to bed and it's it's, it's completely normal it's not that big of a deal and the best part is that later on like Carmen gets on Junie's nerves so much by she always is calling him names and then they reveal there that Carmen is the one <laughs> who wears the yeah. diapers and I was like that was a great plant and payoff like because it's like you really like they really rope doped you on that one like you you really thought it was one and then it's the other and it was a really it was also like a really good um 
you know, it's that moment when you're like, you like both of these kids, but okay, I think Carmen needs to get put in her place a little bit by her brother on this one. Yeah. And 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 that's the thing. Like, they're, they're, again, it, it's just such a solidly told and executed movie in that way. And, and that big focus that Rodriguez has on family being like the theme of this movie, mm-hmm. I think just helps that along because it has a point of view. And I think a lot of times it's just like sometimes with a kid's movie, like you have a theme, but like you just focused on everything else. But I think Rodriguez being so focused on that theme of family and, and getting it into the brother and sister relationship of Carmen and Junie into the machete character, into the, you know, the parents and even into, into floop in many ways, like you can argue that even the thematics of him trying to figure out what's missing in his life mm-hmm. is regarding to that. He doesn't really have a family mm-hmm. or, or, or a relationship to call his own. Like it just, because that permeates throughout the entire movie and is pretty much the point of the movie that I think that those moments work even more. Yeah, I think when you especially say the floop thing, like, you know, his big whole kind of side thing is that, you know, he thinks something's missing from his show. Like, he's very Jack Skellington in this way. Like, he's like, he, he he's like big, like, like, oh, like, you know, something's kind of missing from the thing I love in my life. So, you know, he kind of like, sidetracks into this like weird destructive thing <laughs> that wakes him up at, at, at the end of the day um but um but yeah and then like the whole thing is like junie says like oh well you need kids on your show um and uh you know and while it may not be 100 percent um exactly like oh like you know Floop found his family but it, there is a little bit of like you know everything has been so synthetic and created and he lives in a virtual room on this like castle and like you know bringing in actual kids would actually help though right. to 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 your point though it is kind of funny that they're running through the halls this is when Floop is like a good guy now and then he turns around and he's like where's mom and dad <laughs> and it's like that's like kind of like a little a nice a nice little beat. Did you notice this moment where Floop runs past the camera and his cape goes over the the top frame of the camera and there's this big whooshing sound effect? I did not notice this. <laughs> it, there's, like there, there's a moment in the movie. I'm assuming, did you rent it? Yeah. I, I, I won't make you go back and look at it. But there's a moment where I can... you. All I can imagine is in the edit, they must have said, like, oh, let's, like, just turn the sound up on it, that a little bit more. It, it's like that a... Sound- it, it's just that like kind of like, like a, a quick Rodriguez thing to do. Yeah, it's just kind of like a quick like gag that I think only like you know people like me notice, but it's it's definitely yeah. fun. But I think like I mean, the, the quickly like you know, people have seen this, and I'm sure you've seen like people listening are are very eager to see us talk about the movie. But obviously, like you have that like you know, you start off the movie with. I think it was also important in terms of setting the tone is even that opening sequence where um, you know Carbon wants her mom to tell her the stories of the spy who fall in love and you mm-hmm. get the flashbacks of the two parents meeting but even then you just get the bigness of the spy world right into that that element and just kind of even just sort of the way that antonio banderas's dad like you know brushes her off like when they're talking about like how you know she follows him through the airport and then she follows him up the elevator he's immediately up the elevator you know he takes the picture of him out of her mm-hmm. you know out of her suit he takes a picture of her out of his suit and like, he's just like, okay, like we know what we're dealing with here. But even again, it's like, again, you just get immediately like, you know, again, that, that family influence from right to the beginning of the movie, you get the spy stuff where it's like, then you get the big attack on, you know, the flashback to the big attack on the parents' wedding mm-hmm. and, 
and just kind of the crazy, like, you know, everybody's like running and there's helicopters everywhere and they put on the, they're like parachutes or whatever. They jump into the boat. They have the, the heart shaped parachutes and the boat says just married. And it's, it just kind of fits in there while also immediately getting into that kind of background Hispanic flair that, that mm-hmm. Rodriguez peppers throughout the entire movie. Um, and just kind of like, again, it's like in a background thing, but you can also see almost that influence of like the kind of, kind of almost a traditional sesh, you say like Spanish soap opera, like melodrama mm-hmm. aspect oh, yeah. of it yeah. that, that Rodriguez definitely purposely puts in there. Uh, but again, it's not like a focus. It's the background of the style. And I think that's what makes Rodriguez as a smart director is that he kind of really mixes in that kind of cultural element that he really wants to put in there alongside it like being you know the spy movie and this family movie but also again it's just like it's just that touch it just makes it 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 makes it feel authentic it makes you feel like when you're this authentic like this it in a weird way makes you engage with it more i find like you just kind of like you feel like you're like in this world a little bit more um right and and i also love this gag where like at the beginning where because they put the kids to bed and then the parents are like they're in this realm where they're like retired from the OSS, which is the organization of secret spies or something mm-hmm, like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Um, and but they're retired, but they're like consultants and they do research still for the for the spy organization. I mean, but that's like a big thing, especially when you get into the franchise itself. Very little is said about like what the actual world of spies is. It's really yeah. kept in the fringes. Uh, but, they, th- that's more of material they get into in, t- in the next couple movies. Um, but again, but yeah. like, I think that this, uh, this sequence, because what they do is like, they're both at their desks and they're having a very parental com- conversation where it's just like, you know, like they're talking about like, oh, we had the parent teacher conferences and Carmen is skipping school and Junie is lying about having any friends. Well, also, and they're like doing a thing where they, they kind of have these chairs that like move to each other. So they're kind of having this very conversation about like what the family oh, is and, like. And their, their, uh, their desks, like, you know, like the makeup mirror and everything, like they turn into super spy computers. And yeah, but it's like, like it's that. very, yeah. it's so, it's so simultaneously is like so domestic while also being mm-hmm. their spies yeah. like type of thing where it's like they really, it's like you could see that argument of just two, like if it's like, you know, one's a writer and one's like, uh, you know, like, uh, um, you know, like a consultant for a business firm and they're both working at home and they're both having this conversation about the kids, except their jobs happen to be that they're consulting for this major spy organization. And so, the movie, again, just really sets it up very well, very early. And the movie really tastefully handles also the adult portion of it, because now there's movies that like really get deep into this idea, like The Incredibles, like The Incredibles is a movie that like really focuses on like what is like you know, once you start a family, like, how does it go? And I think it really maturely gets into that. And I think this movie does too, but it's still, like, you can just tell, like, Robert Rodriguez, like, you know, he wants to make a, a movie that is a slightly more mature than your average movie like this. But he he's also has no qualms about just making it accessible fun too. So the moment where they really delve into, like, oh, like, the troubles of, like, leaving behind your spy life is... Um, Antonio Banderas's daydream dealing with like the bully's dad, which I is love this phenomenal. Thing, yeah, because he the whole thing is like you know Junie's uh, kind of you see him like being kind of bullied by one of the kids, mm-hmm. and like Antonio Banderas like gets out, he's gonna do something. Then the kids you see the the bully kid's dad like is a huge guy, and he 
you know, he's like, you know, go, go get him, son. Like he's basically telling this kid to bully other kids. Right, right, right. And, and then Antonio Banderas like turns around, he's like, you got a problem with me, buddy? Mm-hmm. And then you just see like Antonio Banderas like pick the guy up. Like throw him through a window. All the kids immediately start cheering. Yeah, like, the way it's like, framed like, is like the kids are in the foreground, and the and the guy goes in the window in the background, and then like and then they all not only do they all cheer, but then they all go surround him, and right, then it cuts like, to Junie being like, "Dad!" <laughs> no, but it's like they all surround him, and like like Antonio Banderas has that smug like, "I know, I yeah, know." Yeah, like, it, it, so and great. again, but like face, but you're all you're like. It's so straightforward, like that we're watching kind of like a daydream scenario, and the movie's just having fun. Like it's like, yeah. and, I, and I, it just, it's not messing around. It's just getting. And even if we go up a little bit into like, because they eventually get captured by Floop, and there's like this big escape sequence that they have. Mm-hmm. Like we're like, you know, it's basically like eventually it's like Floop like let them escape because he was right. meaning to like yeah, he's like about, fifteen like, minutes. It took you fifteen minutes to escape. Like how disappointing. Well, it was, you just have this whole thing where like you have the whole gag where. You know, the parents are running across and the mom gets across, but the floor seems to break. And then Antonio Banderas, like, uh, you know, he's like, I got to jump across. And he like, even just a little moment where he like, he runs a little bit back. And he's like, wait, no, I got to go farther back because like he's older now and stuff like that. But then he like jumps across and it turns out it's like a fake like panel and it's like just a, like a glass. He's just, completely like jumps on it and then right, right, right. underneath of the glass where he's like stuck to the glass it's fun yeah fun like that he's like or when pe- he peels himself room. off of the glass yeah yeah and then they go they go into the virtual room and it's just how crazy it gets in there it's just like i i i, I want to bring this up before i forget it may seem out of nowhere but you reminded me of that scene earlier where you know she's telling the story about the spies that fell in love and uh you know there's the whole um uh you know the the wedding crash sequence um, which is a, another example of finding that great balance between like you can see what like that movie would look like in something like I don't know like Bad Boys or something where it's like you know or in like a Michael Bay movie where it's like that would right, be the like big that. action sequence but it's kept family friendly enough right. and, and that actually reminds me and correct me if I'm wrong I don't think there's any guns in this movie. I don't believe so. I don't actually. and I think that's like a big kind of distinct thing like to like really keep track of is that nobody's ever like shooting at kids definitely not and i don't think in that sequence anybody kind of like has guns um it's just kind of like oh paratroopers flying in and i i I can't recall any significant gunfire if at all in in the film no no i think like if anything like there's the one gag with terry hatcher where they have like these like gun type apparatuses that and Terry Hatcher's like, you don't know what those do. Right. And like, you they're don't clearly, know how to make yeah, those work. Yeah. They're clearly like they're gadget clearly guns. Like, but then, but then they do the whole gag, which again is funny. It's like, I know they're heavy and it just throw <laughs> yeah. them at them. It's really fun. <laughs> um, another thing I love about before I forget about that, like the, the flashback is I love the moment where the mom is like, you know, she's talking about how it's super nervous about the wedding. It's just a whole metaphor of just like, Oh, like, you know, like marriage is the greatest spy adventure of all, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's like so nervous at her wedding that she like karate, like she's like she turns around like karate chops this like the ice, ice swan, the, yeah, the ice swan because she's just like so nervous that something's gonna happen that she karate chops the neck of this ice swan and then like puts it back, like just tries to fix it. And this is so much little, little fun stuff. With well, that. Carla Guagino is great. She's great. Too. I think again, yeah. I think they play the parents are so yeah. good. To- 
together. But man, and Antonio like, Banderas loves to ham it up, though. Like I yes, love him. Yeah. Like he's so, like even just like his because you can tell like when he's playing like the debonair spy in like that opening segment, he has no lines and he's just saying so much with like his presence. Oh, like that it. first moment where they first meet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where I was talking yeah. about the pic- the picture thing. Just the look on his face, like he just sells how sexy of a spy he is. Right, like, taking right. that trope up to the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like stuff with like his mustache too, like how he's always like putting like the mustache on and off and just fun like that. I, and, also, I do, and I think that becomes a running gag throughout the franchise as well is like that's his kind of like that's the equivalent of his cool sunglasses is his tiny little mustache. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of fake mustaches in this movie. I love the moment with uh <laughs> Martin yeah, 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 yeah. where like he has the mustache where he's the fake uncle and then they like they, they get the red alert and he just takes off his mustache like I'm not actually your uncle. Like he didn't need to have a fake mustache. Yeah. And and he puts him. it back on. <laughs> he puts, he it, puts back it back on, on when he gets back in the house. Yes. Yeah. Like he 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 like, you know, cuz he, he he again they, they get the classic trailer lines like our parents aren't me spies. They're not cool enough and then he opens like the hidden panel. That, That's cool. That moment also when you're talking about like this movie is like kind of like something that would be out of a kid's imagination. There was something that did trigger kind of nostalgia in me when they go to the safe room or they're going and they're going into like the sub or whatever. Or yeah. like the minnow or the guppy or whatever it's called. It's a guppy. Yeah. yeah, and but there was just something about like they open a closet, but then you like part the uh, the like the clothes and the jackets, and then there's like a little tunnel that goes into kind of like this super sub thing. There was something about that that just felt like that's how a kid would play. Like a kid would play like oh like you could see like the kid imagining going into the closet into like a secret room or something. And yeah, yeah, that, yeah. And, that's definitely like, yeah. a tro- like the, the secret room or the under the bed or whatever. Like that's definitely a trope of like a kid's imagination. It's just like, there's a hidden room or the hidden portal somewhere. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and again, but I, I love just within the kids movie, it's again, just keeping it simple. Like the simplicity of like, what happens if you don't come back? Press the blue button, then the green button. Like there's no, like, there's just like, that's how a kid would date too. Right. Right. Like a kid would basically be like, Oh, just push the blue button and then the green button and then go off on the on the way. Another nostalgia thing for me, this is like a very small moment, and it's really not like a moment we're talking about, but I'm gonna talk about it anyway. This era of specific McDonald's product placement. Yes, yeah, yeah. Because they go to the safe house and they have all like these like special foods that they put in like this kind of what? special microwave and it pops up as like, you know, like like, yeah, like, Star Trek. like the de- like the dehydrated food thing. Yeah. But then it pops out and it's just like a big mac and fries. Like, I love that era of just, like, before McDonald's, like, before everybody got on McDonald's for being, like, unhealthy, which they should because it is. Um, but just, like, like we can casually just be, like, in a kid's movie. And just like, yeah, like, kids want a Big Mac and fries. Come uh, to McDonald's. An- another uh, another a, uh, connection between this and Kingsman is a uh, McDonald's product placement. Uh, can yes. <laughs> yes. Can I, can I tell you one of the, the absolute, fin- like, tremendous moments in this movie? Like, like this was actually just kind of like, this is what cinema is all about. Moments in this movie. Let me, uh, yes, tell me. Do you want to guess tell what me. it is? I, it's either okay. I, I would guess it's either a moment during the robot fight, like the first one, or when Floop has his song. No, it's neither of those. Though the Floop song is like very fun and weird and and interesting. It's yeah, so it, Danny Elfman. It, it, it's, it's really straight Danny. out. It's straight out of Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, like, it, it really is. I bet it works. I mean, it kind of like no, no, it, no. And, and yeah. Alan Cumming is incredible in that sequence. 
it's kind of like it's so bizarre and it kind of deals with man this movie's just doing whatever it wants because it's like i mean you kind of get like you know he's doing the show and he brings it up every now and then but that's like the big like he's still thinking about his tv show and he's having a midlife crisis so that was fun yeah my dream you can dream my you know it's just like that look of like forlorn when he like he finishes the song and just like he just says cut because he knows something's wrong it's just like it's phenomenal. It, it, was, it's one I, of the I, things like when you when you watch it, it's like such like what did Tim Burton start directing this movie all of a sudden? Yeah, it really is a Tim Burton moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, my thing about because I just I, I'll mention this quick before you mentioned yours. The moment because I just to talk about the music because I thought I think this is a sneaky good score actually. Mm-hmm. Like I think I think this is a sneaky good score again. It kind of has a lot of cooks in the kitchen, but it works. But there's this moment during there's this during like when they feed, they meet their robot doppelgangers and are going after this third eye, which is like kind of the MacGuffin of this movie. And third brain, third brain. Sorry, yeah. not mm-hmm. the third eye. The, the all seeing eye. I was just watching National. Right, 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 right. Okay, okay. Yeah, the third so, brain, which anyway, is a tiny little brain, which I, th- I always find funny. Yeah, it's a yeah, because that's like the MacGuffin. Because well, I'll talk about that a little bit. Yeah. But there's this moment where they're fighting the robot selves, and Junie is fighting robot Carmen. And robot Carmen swings around. It's like that thing on the playground where that spins around. Like, yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah, the yeah, name of it. Yeah. Carousel. But it spins around, the, the carousel thing. Yeah. And she spins it really fast, and Junie is in the middle of it. And, you know, then, like, we're kind of seeing from inside the perspective where everything's blurry, and it's spinning around. And the robot Carmen walks in, and it's this chorus. It's just like... Oh yeah, like 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 it's like a Kingdom Hearts boss battle or something exactly. where she just jumps just right like, into this it. This is this is nuts. Like There's it's a- nuts that this is this is happening and it like works and it's just like it just makes it feel so epic. And it, again, I think that just sells that Rodriguez just is making the movie for everyone. Where it's just like it doesn't have to pander even in the music. The music can be just this epic, you know, choral score and it works there's another incredible junie and mecca carmen moment where at the end it's the big believe in yourself moment and then like mecca carmen is like you know presenting her strength and she like punches like a like a like a hole through like the wall like the concrete wall and then like real carmen is like junie don't listen to her it's like you know you can do whatever you want you're stronger than you think junie you're strong and then junie then he punches the concrete wall and it's just like and it's like ah you like it because it hurts and she's like you're not that strong (laughs) like that that was a great moment the moment that had me in tears was when danny trejo shows up at the end of the movie and pulls his han solo moment the reason this is incredible to me because they kind of set it up so earlier on in the movie they introduce uh, Machete as um, as um, uh, their uncle. Um, so that's um, Antonio Banderas' brother. And um, the whole bit was like they're kind of like mimicking like the whole sibling rivalry thing with Junie and Carmen by like saying like these guys are estranged. And he's like, I don't want anything to do with my brother. And like, you know, he's kind of being a grumpy like, no. And by the way, Dan- Danny Trejo is kind of like a is like just a gem of a guy like he can really play loving but hard-ass uncle and then also yeah. like just vile people like he he's just he he's really good like for somebody who you would think kind of is such like a distinguished and could easily be typecasted look he 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 he's like a guy who can play one note many different ways yeah and i think it works in his benefit i mean he's great in muppets most wanted 
Yes, yeah, he is. I mean, but any role, kind of role like that, I, I, I often think yeah. that he, he's great. I in. think he's also someone who likes to have fun. Like he, really oh yeah, oh one hundred percent. He'll go, he'll go. Like whatever he does, he's just gonna have fun with it. Yeah, but so they basically set up that he's going to probably pull a Han Solo at the end, like because the whole thing he's like, I don't want anything to do with my brother. So you just know he's gonna come back at the end. But at the end of the movie, they're about to fight all these kids, the whole family, and then there's like there's five hundred of them. We need one more. And then Machete just jumps through the window with nothing, he, with just the clothes on his back. And then he's like, I'm here. And you're just like, how did he get there? <laughs> like, that's easily like the fifth story on this castle. And like, how did he jump through the window? Like, what? And that was like a moment where I was like, I, I, I think I burst out in applause when that happened because it was yeah. just so ridiculous and so amazing one thing about that scene is i also love how it's clear there's not 500 kids there oh yeah yeah yeah, there's very clear there's like 50 of them at most uh i also love the running gag with uh with carmen especially where she doesn't trust the durability of any of machete's gadgets yes yeah yeah, there's this whole thing where it's like i think like they have an issue with one of them earlier on and then she has like the electric gumballs Mm mm-hmm uh, and so she she puts them in. Her I, mouth I have to admit, like, I didn't really understand that joke because like all the gadgets were working, weren't they? I didn't yeah, really I unless I missed one, a joke. I think there. I think you missed one. I can't remember what it is, but there is one where it's like something happens with like the like with something. Or yeah, I, I think I must have missed like maybe an aside or something because like I do remember she said that, and I'm like, wait, but yeah, I thought but she all has this the, line. Yeah. Where it's just like, you know, they, I, I, she throws it out really quick. And it's like, what's that? It's like electric gumballs. It says, the rapper says long lasting, but I don't trust rappers. Uh, yeah, know, I couldn't tell if that was like a weird of the time reference or yeah. if that, but. I don't know. Anyway, I, when, I he ju- when, I, when he jumped through that window, I lost it because it, yeah. it and it's because it's like when you, it wasn't because it wasn't even like he was dressed for battle. He was just dressed in like the jeans and like, you know, under, like sleeveless undershirt with like a, with like a jean jacket on. Like, it was just like. Right. It's like, I, and it, he knew there like were a castle, but there. it's not like he got like a distress signal or something. No. And the fact that he, and the fact that he jumped in right at the moment he was absolutely needed because it's not even like Han Solo where Han Solo like left the Death Star battle and then came back like to the Death Star because they knew we were at a battle. Like it's not like Danny Trejo, it's not like Machete knew they were gonna have to fight all these robots. No, kids. and it was like on the fifth story of this island in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> like, it was in this castle, this island ca- that was incredible. That, that Another was- fun moment, actually. Like I love that they I also love that Rodriguez gives Judy and Carmen their badass walk moment. When yes, they, yeah, 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 yeah. When they like, like, when they're like running away from like everybody, and they 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 get into this like clothing store, and they just walk out with like these cool clothes on, mm-hmm. and they don't pay for them, which I thought was going to be a plant and payoff, where like they, she took all the money. Well, she did. She gave it all the money to the taxi cab driver, and the taxi cab driver is like, hell yeah, even like even in the you know this is like pre Uber. You know, okay, I actually just remembered of like a nice little joke, and this was one of like the gags I always remember as a kid. And then I, I don't think I really understood why it's such like a a nice moment up until now. And they play off of it, kind of going into the series. But the gag about Carmen's full name, like you know, because yes. they have like, oh, you know, my name is Carmen. Like it's like, what is your name? And it's like Carmen Cortez. It's like your full name. And then like the 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 kind of cultural self aware gag. I'm all about culturally self-aware gags because i i think not only are they 
just you know culturally healthy but i actually think they often end up being honest and you can like embrace the culture a little bit more but like that it is kind of like a funny little bit where she says like this huge this long um kind of like hispanic type name and uh and and that's like the 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 password and i just thought that was kind of like a nice little moment because they right it's not a joke at the expense uh, of that but it's just kind of coming from again all the stuff that that is you know all the latino and hispanic elements that rodriguez brings he's definitely bringing it from his own personal experience like another story that i I didn't mention uh in the lead-up is like you know there was there was some concern with like um, the 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 mothers. I, I keep forgetting her name. Carla Gugino. Uh, yeah, Carla Gugino. Mm-hmm. Of just like she felt like she was too young to be the you know the the parents of like Judy and Carmen because mm-hmm. it's just like you know she was like not even thirty at that time. And mm-hmm. Robert Rodriguez is like, well, that, that was like my mother was had me at a very young age. Like mm-hmm. she had like three kids and she wasn't even like thirty yet. Like it was just coming from his own experience of having being like a family with a very young mother and stuff like that. So a lot of that stuff comes from just Rodriguez's heart. And like, even like Junie, Carmen and Gregorio are all named after members of his family. So it's just like, it really brings that element to it. And it just makes the movie feel more real, Mm -hmm. more, more enjoyable. Yeah. And it's funny because Uh, it's played in a way where it's like, you can definitely tell like the, the makers of the movie is like, yes, like even, we acknowledge that it is kind of even silly to us that we have like yeah. these these full names that even we don't want to say all the time. So I like I, I, I like little bits like that. Going back to because we're just all over the place, but there's so many little moments to. I I will always enjoy a good in a movie like this. Like person like talks about how they they're you know they're just kids and then they immediately like get their words eaten. Mm-hmm. Like the Terry Hatcher moment with that one, because Terry Hatcher's character is, she seems like she's part of the OSS and she's like helping lead them to this mission, but she's actually working for Flute, but in reality, actually working for Minion mm-hmm. to, you know, and like and she's in a relationship with him. And, and so she gets to the safe house where like the kids are sent on the guppy and they're like looking for the third brain. And of course, the third brain is conveniently in the safe house. Um, so then it's like revealed like you know they sink the guppy and it's like you know Judy's like oh my god she's actually working for floop and so there's this big fight with the kids and again like they're kind of like just you know throwing food and 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 trinkets at them and then terry hatcher just has the moment of like how can you be like losing them they're just kids and immediately her hair gets set on fire right 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 and it's just immediately like yes and then you know, and then her hair gets all crazy later in the movie, which I, I appreciate. I'm sure she didn't actually shave her head. I'm sure it was. A no, cap. it's clearly a ball cap. Definitely. I'm, I, I'm, I'm sure like Terry Hatcher would have not done that, but still it like looks good on her in terms of that. While we're just kind of mentioning random things, another little gag I liked is between um, uh, Antonio Banderas and Tony Shalhoub, um, where they're in like the kind of like the lab. And then Tony Shalhoub's distracted by Junie and then, Antonio Banderas kind of oh, does like this, the come up from like guy. the from like the bottom frame of camera out of nowhere, and he turns around, and then they 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 share like one or two lines of dialogue, and then Carla Gugino comes up right next to right next to him, and then like and then Carmen comes up too, and then he's that like, was really funny. And then, and then like, the third one, he's like, one, "Oh, I didn't even see her." <laughs> yeah, just like I didn't even know she was there. Like that. That was again yeah. just really fun, just silly. It's a stuff funny movie. Get... Like there's some like legit really is. funny really moments. And I, I really, I really got to commend Alan Cumming as Floop as a, as a performance. Mm-hmm. It's just like a fun, 
crazy like children's movie children's show person very just, earnest very earnest like like or sincere stuff, I, think, I should say yeah very sincere he, like he just plays yeah, like when sincere. when he wants to play like this isn't what i wanted like he just really plays like this innocent child that like got roped up like this willy wonka type you're right they like got ro- roped up into uh these, like these it, things and even when he's having because he gets eventually when when minion turns on him he gets locked in the virtual room and it's like the whole thing about the virtual room is like this very like big like 3D like you know green screen space, but like once it turns on, you can't find the way out. And you know, Junie gets locked, you know, Junie kind of goes in there while he's trying to escape because Carmen's fallen down the hole that was previously covered by glass early in the movie. And so he goes in the virtual room and he encounters Floop, which he, you know, he's a big fan of. Like, you know, that's the whole point of the movie. And there's this conversation of Floop like coming in as like God essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like yeah. kind of this, like kind of the big, like kind of like wizard of oz type face yeah, type yeah. of thing just him like having this heart-to-heart conversation with junie about like how his his struggles and like what what like you know him being so happy that junie's a fan of his and like what the what that's missing and stuff like that like it's just like great little stuff from from uh coming who's always a fun performer like i love I, we talked about him in gold night he's mm-hmm. great in golden eye you know I, I kind of enjoy him as nightcrawler you know as much as I don't have an attachment to the X-Men movies like him as Nightcrawler is always fun and just him in this it's just in him like being in the kind of the big costume and and like just again that like the song performance and him like being oh like another great gag I just remembered is like they're saving the parents from their jail cells and Floop is like fiddling with the keys it's like oh he's on our side he's gonna get us out but Carmen just uses this like lipstick that melts the bars. Yeah. But then you see like a- it was an like, it was an acid crayon, I believe. It, it or, no, acid was, yeah. crayon. Yeah, it was a crayon, acid crayon that like melts the bars. You see Floop like finally get the key, open the door, look so proud, and then look over and just the they're already having this heart to heart conversation about being a family. Just like little moments like that. Um, well, I, I was going to ask you, I, well, I, I would have said that um, somebody like a Harrison Ford could have played the head of the spy organization, but we got another uh, great cameo uh, in this, it's uh, Clune, Clune Dog, George Clooney coming in. Yeah, and this is, again, this is right before big actor Clooney, because 2001 is the same year as Ocean's Eleven. So this Clooney is... He ruined Batman and Robin. (laughs) This Clooney that's in this movie is still the ER guy who ruined Batman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. But I mean, obviously, like they work together on um, uh, from dusk till dawn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and it's just funny because that's another just really silly gag where the whole thing is he has like a bar over his eyes to yeah. like cover his identity. Yeah, 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 but yeah. then he, you know, he's talking to Carmen and Junie cause they're the ones and they're like talking, you know, the whole thing is like, we like, we're a family, blah, 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 blah. Uh, like, and we all do everything together. And then he like, he takes off the bar, like cleans them like glasses. Yeah. As if they're sunglasses. Like, yeah. As if they're sunglasses and is like, well, like, you know, like it's a fun gag. We're asking for the kids because the kids are like some of the best spies that we have in the organization. Yeah, I think the line was something along the line. They're they're like the best spies we've seen in the business. (laughs) It's like it it is kids wish fulfillment, but it's like by that point in the movie, it's earned and it's it's and it's charming and uh, and then it works. And then Machete is at the table with them and then the whole family's together. The whole thing about it's like even like I just like. 
they're having like once the kids are defeated uh or the you know mr lisp who gets mistaken as Lip? I love that little line too. Oh, that was like, a great joke too. He's like, "Oh, here's your seat, Mister Lisp," and he's like, "It's Lisp." <laughs> yeah, that was um, a good joke. <laughs> but like, because Floop succeeds in like you know, because then even like Carmen again, it's just a ridiculousness of like you know when they do the too late gag, and then Carmen's just like, just like flip them, and it's like, oh, like a binary thing. That's brilliant. Oh, yeah, and yeah, so yeah. they don't the thing. But even Machete is like you know, Machete and Antonio Banderas are like confronting each other like they haven't seen each other and the, the whole thing is like i don't remember why you left in the first place it's like i don't remember either and then machete just cries at antonio banderas and then and then the father's like it's a latino thing like he's, he's yeah emotional. yeah he's like he's emotional you know latinos and it's like that that was that was great i love it i love it yeah so yeah, I mean, I, I, um, unless unless you have anything further to say about it, I mean, I was just, I mean, I, I, I was very it's just familiar. fun to revisit this and yeah. see mm-hmm. and remember all the crazy and creative stuff that happens in this movie because it really is like, again, just like even the designs, like the crazy designs of like the the fluples or whatever they are, the fugles, um, yeah, and like, yeah, and and like just like kind of that element and the thumb thumbs are just so memorable and, mm-hmm. and just weird and just. There's so many just weird elements, but they fit because Rodriguez, one, gives them attention, two, you know, doesn't, you know, undercut them. It, they present them as like, you know, they have jokes about them, but they're not the expense of the jokes where it's just like, you know, the thumb thumbs are still, you know, bad at their jobs because they're all thumbs, but they're still can handle a fight and like overwhelm you. And same thing with with the kids. It's like, yes, they're robot kids and they look like other kids, but they're extremely and it, once they get the third brain, like extremely smart robots that can like, you know, put you down like they, 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 they the Rodriguez does a great job of just selling you on the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, I echo all those sentiments. I, I mean, my biggest thing was like, you know, just <clears throat> rewatching it and it's just it's it's super it, it's super solid. It, it works all around. Um, and um, and it definitely makes me want to go back and kind of rewatch like the the next two at, at the very least. Um, yeah. Because there, you're right. I think I'm. I think there was something distinct about the third one where I, it's just more in my brain. But I remember there was a lot of well, stuff I liked about the second. Is, yeah, like it's just, it's Stallone and the 3D gimmick and the video game thing, and it's also like Junie, like Carmen doesn't appear until like halfway through the movie. Um, right, right, yeah. That that was the one and where it all, was like Junie was more the main character, right? And it's also got one. more of a role for Ricardo Montalban, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And then. Uh, Two's fun because it's doing its Ray Harryhausen thing, which is a lot of yes. fun with like its creatures and Buscemi's and that, and yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, that's all I have to say about it. It's good. It's a good movie. Well, I mean, Harrison Ford does have a role in this franchise down the line, but does um, he? he? Oh, he, wait, oh, seriously? You haven't seen four? No, he, you haven't seen. Is he in four? He repl- no way. He re- he replaces Ricardo Montalban as the grandpa. No. That's yeah, not real. That's a hundred percent real. I'm not kidding. Hold with on, you. I'm gonna look that up. Let's see, Spy Kids. Spy Kids Four was called Spy Kids 4D. All the time. In well, because the they, they had the sniff. It had the aroma cinema, where you had to bring the smells and then scratch it off when the symbol appeared on screen. Uh, hold on. This is one of those where I need to go into the actual cast tab and go all the way down. 
You could have just searched Spy Kids 4 Harrison Ford. I'm, lo- I'm, looking, I'm, I'm looking it up. Are you sure? Hey, this says that uh, maybe Wikipedia is being weird. I. Huh. All right. I'm looking. I, I don't I don't see it. We're talking about Harrison Ford, the actor, right? <laughs> maybe. Hold on. I, I might have been bamboozled, Will. This is a pretty big bamboozled, if you were. I don't I don't think this is right. Maybe not. Where'd you hear that? Listen, it was on Wikipedia, okay? I shouldn't trust Wikipedia, but I'm generally good. Why didn't you go on IMDb? Cause I don't I didn't look up Spike Kids 4 on IMDb. I don't yeah, I don't think this is I love how we're just hashing this out right on here it's not right i got bamboozled will yeah someone has not fixed the spy kids for where does that it even t- say that i'm trying to even see where you saw that on the cast list on the on the wikipedia website because it also says bruce willis is in this movie i don't think that's right either <laughs> oh it's because they only appear in the extended edition oh i see they all got cut out of the movie. Speaking of extended edition, I don't think that shark sequence in this movie was in the theatrical cut of the movie of Spy of this Spy Kids. May have not been. I don't know. I don't I think, think so because I remember at the time when the DVD was coming out, it's like with all new scenes. Like they were, you know, that's when they pushed that. Like it's like, oh, yeah. with all new scenes, not seeing theaters. And I think that whole bit with the sharks was, the uh, yeah. Okay, listen, there's still a mystery. But Harrison Ford in this movie, who would he have been if he wasn't mysterious? I mean, maybe? basically, wouldn't he have just been the president? Like in this type yeah. of movie. I know that they yes. kind of did cast a role for the president later on, but I, well, I George think... Clooney does eventually become the president. Yeah. In, th- I suppose, in yeah. three, okay, he gets elected enough. president. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. But he's the, he's the current administration. Yes. Got it. Sorry. Uh, cool. Or, or he owns the network that floops TV show is on. And that's all also like you're number two. You gotta make it to number one. Either that, or he's like, maybe like a higher up kind of like, uh, um, Spectre type character that uh that Robert Patrick works for. Yeah, like he's yeah. the one who wanted the army of children. Get me those yes. kids. I like I'll, again, just like I like that the whole thing about Floop's show being number two, and like the moment at the beginning where he's talking to like Robert Patrick about it, and he's like, "We're number," and he has to look over the minion, and minion has to flash number yeah, two. two. We're number yeah. two. Yeah. We're number two. Yeah. Um, All right. So yeah. let's uh... aftermath stuff. Uh, movie releases on uh, March 30th, 2001, and is a big success. Um, it was really well-reviewed. Um, what was just basically like, um, people were just like, this is what Robert Rodriguez set it out to be. It was an entertaining um, film for all ages that had great humor uh, and had like great action for a family film and just was an overall generally great time. Um, and just was, what was the final box office total? Uh, it had its opening weekend of 26.5 million and eventually grossed uh, 147 worldwide. So was, a, especially for that $36 million budget was a very big success and was very happy for, uh, Rodriguez, who, you know, again, had been a successful filmmaker, but not necessarily had a great success uh, in terms of a popular film. Because even like the stuff he'd done, like El Mariachi and Four Rooms and uh, even like stuff like The Faculty 
and From Dusk Till Dawn were all still niche or flops. Mm. So the fact that Rodriguez finally had kind of a hit under his belt and, a, and, and, and for a film that he was so passionate about uh, was very fulfilling to Rodriguez. And, and I think that's also why he decided to go immediately into two more sequels that he does complete a spy kids trilogy as we mentioned with number two uh being uh the island of lost dreams and number three being spy kids 3d game over uh and just kind of he always has had a love for this film and this franchise um in terms of that yeah I, and i just always distinctly remember like the the next two that came out it was just kind of like that that nice little franchise that could and um and, 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 and also what may you know it's funny what makes the 3d thing stand out in the first one was like it was the the movie was built around it like story wise as well as opposed to the 3d craze that followed like later on where it was just like oh movies were just going to be in 3d um yeah. which you know also i don't know there 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 again these movies just kind of have like a certain charm to them like they they really do feel like uh these like these kids movies that kids would make like yeah yeah and you just don't expect that from looking at like robert rodriguez's um uh his sense of play is just is just always fun to see Mm -hmm. i agree yep um cool well um is is that it for spy kids i think that's pretty much it cool i've never seen the fourth one I mean, it has it has Jeremy Piven in it. So. It has it has it, it does have an amazing Jeremy Piven moment in it. Like it, it just you know he just has a few actor flourishes that are kind of fun. Um, yeah, like, like a lot of trailer moments for where Jeremy. Where does Shark Piven Boy and Lava Girl fit into this? I've never seen that movie, but I always so, remember like that was always when I was growing up. That was like the movie that was Spy Kids, but not Spy Kids. Yeah, so I mean, it's a it really is like uh, Shark Boy and Lava Girl uh was another it's basically like it's essentially a spin-off without being a spin-off it's kind of just like um Rodriguez is wanting to do something in the Spy Kids style specifically like what he had done with Spy Kids 3D with the very much like the virtual world type of thing mm-hmm. like kind of like kind of lucasing it up actually like like Sharkboy and Lava Girl is very much him kind of taking the digital background stuff yeah mm-hmm. that I remember. Lucas did on uh the the prequels and just basically cuz that's what he did with Spike is 3D was basically cuz it's all in the video game world it's like a mixture of practical sets and 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 digital sets and that was like the Sharkboy and Lava Girl was just an extension on that and i think like Rodriguez basically again just like with the Machete films being kind of an offshoot kind of Sharkboy and Lava Girl is the same way mm-hmm. where it's just like it is within the it's not like a part of the franchise but it's definitely like kind of a side off thing of Spy Kids without being like an actual Spy Kids like like it could be easily imagined that if they ever you know in that era that you could have done a crossover between Sharkboy and Lava Girl and Spy Kids right like it would have been easy to imagine because those worlds just fit so much together because it still has the like um it has the kind of hispanic sort of thing like going on with it um because it has like george lopez is like the villain and all that sort of right, stuff right 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 and, and that sort of thing it also has david arquette in that movie <laughs> um cool well and, t- and taylor lautner of course we can't forget yeah. that's like that's like first era taylor lautner um cool well uh yeah go on amazon and rent it 
It's fun. It's a fun movie. If you haven't seen I it in a while. Agree. And I'm, I'm, I hope that was satisfactory to those of you that have been requesting that you learned some stuff, that you got our thoughts on it. Um, it was a lot of fun to revisit. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, okay, so that de- that deals with it uh, for uh, Bond, the Bond episode uh, this this month. Yes, and normally this is where I would tell you what is coming up next, um, but with December being the last month of this era of the Bondzilla podcast, uh, we're going to keep our December plans a little bit close to the chest for now. So mm-hmm. just keep tuned for what's coming next uh, in terms of our December content. But we do have another episode coming to you this month uh, from the Godzilla side of things. Uh, and we are going to be taking a look at uh, King Kong Escapes, right? Will? The Toho uh, King Kong movie. Um which I think has been one that's also kind of been like, you know, uh, much over, like long overdue. Like, Over, I, yeah, I, yeah I, I think so. Um, you know, I think what one of the reasons that came about it was because this month was the month we were supposed to be seeing a uh, new movie with Kong in it. Um, but uh, since that's not happening, uh, let's celebrate Kong uh, this way by uh, delving into Toho's uh, stab at the character. And I'm sure we'll talk about like, you know, other Kong movies as well uh, when we yeah. uh, when we when we do that. So uh, stay tuned for that later uh, in the month. And do uh, keep in mind, we are going to make our announcement on what the future of the podcast holds this month. Uh, so keep your ears out for that. That'll sh- uh, should be in your uh, podcast inboxes sooner rather than later. Yep. All right. Well, uh, I'm done. You're done. We're done. Plug away. Bonzillapod at gmail.com, twitter.com slash bonzilla007, facebook.com slash bonzilla007. Like and subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud. Share with your friends, folks. Uh, we still have uh, you know, more listeners coming in. So thank you so much for, for keeping your ears tuned to us. All right. Well, until next time, bye-bye. See ya. <laughs>